This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. THE ANTI-FEDERALIST PAPERS ANTI-FEDERALIST PAPER NUMBER THREE LETTERS FROM THE FEDERAL FARMER TO THE REPUBLICAN 1. OCTOBER 8, 1787 Dear Sir, my letters to you last winter on the subject of a well-balanced national government for the United States were the result of free inquiry, when I passed from that subject to inquiries relative to our commerce, revenues, past administration, etc. I anticipated the anxieties I feel on carefully examining the plan of government proposed by the Convention. It appears to be a plan retaining some federal features, but to be the first important step, and to aim strongly to one consolidated government of the United States. It leaves the powers of government and the representation of the people so unnaturally divided between the general and state governments that the operations of our system must be very uncertain. My uniform federal attachments, and the interest I have in the protection of property and a steady execution of the laws, will convince you that, if I am under any bias at all, it is in favor of any general system which shall promise those advantages. The instability of our laws increases my wishes for firm and steady government, but then I can consent to no government which, in my opinion, is not calculated equally to preserve the rights of all orders of men in the community. My object has been to join with those who have endeavored to supply the defects in the forms of our governments by a steady and proper administration of them. Though I have long apprehended that fraudulent debtors, embarrassed men on the one hand, and men on the other, unfriendly to republican equality, would produce an uneasiness among the people, and prepare the way, if not for cool and deliberate reforms in the governments, but for changes calculated to promote the interests of particular orders of men. Acquit me, sir, of any agency in the formation of the new system. I shall be satisfied with seeing, if it shall be adopted, a prudent administration." indeed i am so much convinced of the truth of pope's maxim that that which is best administered is best that i am much inclined to subscribe to it from experience i am not disposed to unreasonably contend about forms i know our situation is critical and it behooves us all to make the best of it a federal government of some sort is necessary we have suffered the present to languish and whether the confederation was capable or not originally of answering any valuable purposes it is now but of little importance i will pass by the men and states who have been particularly instrumental in preparing the way for a change and perhaps for governments not very favorable to the people at large a constitution is now presented which we may reject or which we may accept with or without amendments and to which point we ought to direct our exertions is the question to determine this question with propriety we must attentively examine the system itself and the probable consequences of either step this i shall endeavor to do so far as i am able with candor and fairness and leave you to decide upon the propriety of my opinions the weight of my reasons and how far my conclusions are well drawn whatever may be the conduct of others on the present occasion i do not mean hastily and positively to decide on the merits of the constitution proposed I shall be open to conviction, and always disposed to adopt that which, all things considered, shall appear to me to be the most for the happiness of the community. It must be granted that if men hastily and blindly adopt a system of government, they will as hastily and blindly be led to alter or abolish it, and changes must ensue, one after another, till the peaceable and better part of the community will grow weary with changes, tumults, and disorders, and be disposed to accept any government, however despotic, that shall promise stability and firmness. 
the first principal question that occurs is whether considering our situation we ought to precipitate the adoption of the proposed constitution if we remain cool and temperate we are in no immediate danger of any commotions we are in a state of perfect peace and in no danger of invasions the state governments are in the full exercise of their powers and our governments answer all present exigencies except the regulation of trade securing credit in some cases and providing for the interest in some cases of the public debts and whether we adopt a change three or nine months hence can make but little odds with the private circumstances of individuals their happiness and prosperity after all depend principally upon their own exertions we are hardly recovered from a long and distressing war the farmers fishermen and etc have not yet fully repaired the waste made by it industry and frugality are again assuming their proper station private debts are lessened and public debts incurred by the war have been by various ways diminished and the public lands have now become a productive source for diminishing them much more i know uneasy men who wish very much to precipitate do not admit all these facts but they are facts well known to all men who are thoroughly informed in the affairs of this country it must however be admitted that our federal system is defective and that some of the state governments are not well administered but then we impute to the defects in our governments many evils and embarrassments which are most clearly the result of the late war we must allow men to conduct on the present occasion as on all similar ones they will urge a thousand pretenses to answer their purposes on both sides when we want a man to change his condition we describe it as miserable wretched and despised and draw a pleasing picture of that which we would have him assume and when we wish the contrary we reverse our description whenever a clamor is raised and idle men get to work it is highly necessary to examine facts carefully and without unreasonably suspecting men of falsehood to examine and inquire attentively under what impressions they act it is too often the case in political concerns that men state facts not as they are but as they wish them to be and almost every man by calling to mind past scenes will find this to be true nothing but the passions of ambitions impatient or disorderly men i conceive will plunge us into commotions if time should be taken fully to examine and consider the system proposed men who feel easy in their circumstances and such as are not sanguine in their expectations relative to the consequences of the proposed change will remain quiet under the existing governments many commercial and moneyed men who are not uneasy not without just cause ought to be respected and by no means unreasonably disappointed in their expectations and hopes but as to those who expect employments under the new constitution as to those weak and ardent men who always expect to be gainers by revolutions and whose lot it generally is to get out of one difficulty into another they are very little to be regarded and as to those who designedly avail themselves of this weakness and ardor they are to be despised it is natural for men who wish to hasten the adoption of a measure to tell us now is the crisis now is the critical moment which must be seized or all will be lost and to shut the door against free inquiry whenever conscious the thing presented has defects in it which time and investigation will probably discover this has been the custom of tyrants and their dependents in all ages if it is true that which has been so often said that the people of this country cannot change their condition for the worse i presume it still behooves them to endeavor deliberately to change it for the better the fickle and ardent in any community are the proper tools for establishing despotic government but it is deliberate and thinking men who must establish and secure governments on free principles before they decide on the plan proposed they will inquire whether it will probably be a blessing or a curse to this people 
The present moment discovers a new face in our affairs. Our object has been all along to reform our federal system and to strengthen our governments, to establish peace, order, and justice in the community, but a new object now presents. The plan of government now proposed is evidently calculated totally to change, in time, our conditions as a people. Instead of being thirteen republics under a federal head, it is clearly designed to make us one consolidated government. Of this, I think, I shall fully convince you in my following letters on this subject. This consolidation of the states has been the object of several men in this country for some time past. Whether such a change can ever be effected in any manner, whether it can be effected without convulsions and civil wars, whether such a change will not totally destroy the liberties of this country, time only can determine. To have a just idea of the government before us, and to show that a consolidated one is the object in view, it is necessary not only to examine the plan, but also its history, and the politics of its particular friends. The Confederation was formed and great confidence was placed in the voluntary exertions of individuals, and of the respective states, and the framers of it, to guard against usurpation so limited and checked the powers that, in many respects, they are inadequate to the exigencies of the Union. We find, therefore, members of Congress urging alterations in the federal system, almost as soon as it was adopted. It was early proposed to vest Congress with powers to levy an impost, to regulate trade, etc., but such was known to be the caution of the states in parting with power that the vestment, even of these, was proposed to be under several checks and limitations. During the war, the general confusion, the introduction of paper money, infused in the minds of people vague ideas respecting government and credit. We expected too much from the return to peace, and of course we have been disappointed. Our governments have been new and unsettled, and several legislatures, by making tender, suspension, and paper money laws, have given just cause of uneasiness to creditors. By these and other causes, several orders of men in the community have been prepared, by degrees, for a change of government, and this very abuse of power in the legislatures, which, in some cases, has been charged upon the democratic part of the community, has furnished aristocratical men with those very weapons and those very means with which, in great measure, they are rapidly effecting their favorite object. And should an oppressive government be the consequence of the proposed change, posterity may reproach not only a few overbearing, unprincipled men, but those parties in the states which have misused their powers. The conduct of several legislatures touching paper money and tender laws has prepared many honest men for changes in government, which otherwise they would not have thought of, when by the evils on the one hand and by the secret instigations of artful men on the other the minds of men were becoming sufficiently uneasy, a bold step was taken, which is usually followed by a revolution or a civil war. A general convention for more commercial purposes was moved for. The authors of this measure saw that the people's attention was turned solely to the amendment of the federal system, and that, had the idea of total change been started, probably no state would have appointed members to the convention. The idea of destroying, ultimately, the state government and forming one consolidated system could not have been admitted. A convention, therefore, merely for vesting in Congress power to regulate trade was proposed. This was pleasing to the commercial towns, and the landed people had little or no concern about it. September 1786, a few men from the middle states met at Annapolis, and hastily proposed a convention to be held in May 1787 for the purpose, generally, of amending the Confederation. This was done before the delegates of Massachusetts and of the other states arrived. Still not a word was said about destroying the old Constitution and making a new one. The states, still unsuspecting, and not aware that they were passing the Rubicon, appointed members to the new convention for the sole and express purpose of revising and 
amending the Confederation, and, probably, not one man in ten thousand in the United States till within these ten or twelve days had an idea that the old ship was to be destroyed, and he put to the alternative of embarking in the new ship presented, or of being left in danger of sinking, the States. The States, I believe, universally suppose the Convention would report alterations to the Confederation, which would pass an examination in Congress, and after being agreed to there, would be confirmed by all the legislatures, or be rejected. Virginia made a very respectable appointment, and placed at the head of it the first man in America. In this appointment there was a mixture of political characters, but Pennsylvania appointed principally those men who are esteemed aristocratical. Here the favorite moment for changing the government was evidently discerned by a few men who seized it with address. Ten other states appointed, and though they chose men principally connected with commerce and the judiciary department, yet they appointed many good Republican characters. Had they all attended, we should now see, I am persuaded, a better system presented. The non-attendance of eight or nine men who were appointed members of the convention I shall ever consider as a very unfortunate event to the United States. Had they attended, I am pretty clear that the result of the convention would not have had that strong tendency to aristocracy now discernible in every part of the plan. There would not have been so great an accumulation of powers, especially as to the internal police of the country, in a few hands, as the Constitution reported proposes to vest in them. The young visionary men and the consolidating aristocracy would have been more restrained than they have been. Eleven states met in the convention, and after four months' close attention presented the new constitution, to be adopted or rejected by the people. The uneasy and fickle part of the community may be prepared to receive any form of government, but I presume the enlightened and substantial part will give any constitution presented for their adoption a candid and thorough examination, and silence those designing or empty men who weakly and rashly attempt to precipitate the adoption of a system of so much importance. We shall view the convention with proper respect, and, at the same time, that we reflect there were men of abilities and integrity in it, we must recollect how disproportionably the democratic and aristocratic parts of the community were represented. Perhaps the judicious friends and opposers of the new constitution will agree that it is best to let it rest solely on its own merits or be condemned for its own defects. In the first place, I shall premise that the plan proposed is a plan of accommodation, and that is in this way only, and by giving up a part of our opinions, that we can ever expect to obtain a government founded in freedom and compact. This circumstance candid men will always keep in view in the discussion of this subject. The plan proposed appears to be partly federal, but principally, however, calculated ultimately to make the states one consolidated government. The first interesting question, therefore, suggested is, how far the states can be consolidated into one entire government on free principles. In considering this question, extensive objects are to be taken in view, and important changes in the forms of government to be carefully attended to in all their consequences. The happiness of the people at large must be the great object with every honest statesman, and he will direct every movement to this point. If we are so situated as a people, and not to be able to enjoy equal happiness and advantages under one government, the consolidation of the states cannot be admitted. There are three different forms of government under which the United States may exist as one nation, and now is, perhaps, the time to determine to which we will direct our views. 1. Distinct republics connected under a federal head. In this case, the respective state governments must be the principal guardians of the people's rights and exclusively regulate their internal police. In them must rest the balance of government. 
The Congress of the States, or Federal Head, must consist of delegates amenable to and removable by the respective States. This Congress must have general directing powers, powers to require men and monies of the States, to make treaties, peace and war, to direct the operations of armies, etc. Under this Federal modification of government, the powers of Congress would be rather advisory or recommendatory than coercive. 2. We may do away the several state governments and form or consolidate all the states into one entire government with one executive, one judiciary, and one legislature, consisting of senators and representatives collected from all parts of the Union. In this case there would be a complete consolidation of the states. 3. We may consolidate the states as to certain national objects and leave them severally distinct independent republics as to internal police generally. Let the general government consist of an executive, a judiciary, and balanced legislature, and its powers extend exclusively to all foreign concerns, causes arising on the seas to commerce, imports, armies, navies, Indian affairs, peace and war, and to a few internal concerns of the community, to the coin, post offices, weights and measures, a general plan for the militia, to naturalization, and perhaps to bankruptcies, leaving the internal police of the community in other respects exclusively to the state governments, as the administration of justice in all causes arising internally, the laying and collecting of internal taxes, and the forming of the militia according to a general plan prescribed. In this case there would be a complete consolidation quad certain objects only. Touching the first or federal plan, I do not think much can be said in its favor. The sovereignty of the nation, without coercive and efficient powers to collect the strength of it, cannot always be depended on to answer the purposes of government, and in a Congress of representatives of sovereign states there must necessarily be an unreasonable mixture of powers in the same hands. As to the second or complete consolidating plan, it deserves to be carefully considered at this time by every American. If it be impracticable, it is a fatal error to model our governments, directing our views ultimately to it. The third plan, or parcel consolidation, is, in my opinion, the only one that can secure the freedom and happiness of this people. I once had some general ideas that the second plan was practicable, but from long attention and the proceedings of the Convention, I am fully satisfied that this third plan is the only one we can with safety and propriety proceed upon. Making this the standard to point out, with candor and fairness, the parts of the new Constitution which appear to be improper is my object. The Convention appears to have proposed the partial consolidation evidently with a view to collect all powers ultimately in the United States into one entire government, and from its views in this respect, and from the tenacity of the small states to have an equal vote in the Senate, probably originated the greatest defects in the proposed plan. Independent of the opinions of many great authors that a free elective government cannot be extended over large territories, a few reflections must evince that one government and general legislation alone can never extend equal benefits to all parts of the United States. Different laws, customs, and opinions exist in the different states, which by a uniform system of laws would be unreasonably invaded. The United States contain about a million of square miles, and in half a century will probably contain ten millions of people, and from the center to the extremes is about eight hundred miles. Before we do away the state governments, or adopt measures that will tend to abolish them, and to consolidate the states into one entire government, several principles should be considered and facts ascertained. 
these and my examination into the essential parts of the proposed plan i shall pursue in my next yours and etc the federal farmer end of anti-federalist papers section three